Good morning. Coming up this week is an exciting series of holidays. Perhaps you are unfamiliar with them. Let me just remind you that Tuesday is Fat Tuesday, so you can eat and drink all the things you want to eat and drink to get ready for Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, or for some people, Valentine's Day. Guys, don't forget you still have three days to figure something out, okay? But Ash Wednesday is a day in which we as the church begin what's known as the season of Lent, a season of reflection and a season of prayer and a season of centering our hearts on the Lord, specifically in preparation for Easter, for Good Friday, for that last week that Jesus lived, remembering and celebrating and also reliving today the very things he did for us back then. And historically, Fat Tuesday was because beginning on Ash Wednesday, the church would practice a regular rhythm of fasting. And they would go without all sorts of sweets and good things and food. And so, what do you do to not have it go to waste? You just eat it quickly. And you throw a big party, and then afterwards you have 40 days to recover from the party. Often, I think when it comes to fasting, if you've ever thought about fasting or talked about fasting, that's how we tend to think about it. We think like, oh no, during this time I'm going to miss out, so let me make up for it in advance. If I just eat and drink as much caffeine and sugar and alcohol and whatever now, I'll be able to make it through the fast later because I know what I had. I had my fill. But I think for most of us, fasting is a thing that We know it's an idea out there, but if we're honest with ourselves, we only do it if the doctor tells us we have to. For most of us, fasting is the thing we're like, I like the idea, like it sounds great, but no thanks. And even our world around us knows just the reality of fasting. This is why when you're hungry, you need to grab a Snickers, because you get hangry when you fast. Things come out from within that you didn't even know were there. And our world around us knows the value of fasting because we have all kinds of practices of intermittent fasting and selective diets and things that are aimed to help cleanse and detox and purge your body and soul and help you to feel healthier and be healthier and live longer. And yet, for some reason, within the church, we often think about fasting as this archaic thing that's for other people, like for those really holy people, or maybe those really weird people who take it just a little too seriously, or maybe it's for somebody back then, but not now. As we, as a church body, seek to pursue Jesus, we believe that regular rhythms and practices of various habits help us to connect with him and in turn to slowly become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus over the course of our life, we slowly begin to love our neighbor as Jesus did, to do the types of things for our community that Jesus would do if he were here today, living in your shoes, working your job, going to your grocery stores. What would Jesus do if he were you in your circumstance? See, because to just ask what would Jesus do doesn't really make much sense because I'm not a Jewish individual from 2,000 years ago. I don't live under the Roman Empire and the challenges of growing all my own food and needing to beg if I don't have it. I, I don't live in that place. And so to just ask what Jesus would do doesn't help us a whole lot for what would he do today if he were in my shoes. 
How do I live out this faith that I have in a way that is meaningful and transformative and a blessing not only to me, but also to my neighbors? And even more so, a blessing to my enemies. How do I live this faith out? Historically, the church during the season of Lent has always taken Lent as an opportunity to kind of one-up your game, step it up a notch, and, and not just do the things Jesus taught us to do sometimes, but to make a communal habit where everybody together engaged in practices aimed at during this season, how do we become more like Jesus? And there are historically three practices that were um, often done by the whole church during these 40 days of Lent. And these three practices are the practice of giving to the poor, the practice of prayer, and the practice of fasting. And here's where they come from. If you'd like to open up to Matthew chapter 6, uh, in the Blue Bibles, this is page 1012. Those are found in front of you or in the, the walls alongside upstairs. You're welcome to use your own Bible or your phone. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving his first recorded lengthy sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he says some really challenging stuff, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of the earth. And you say, what does that even mean? How can I be poor in spirit? He talks about anger and lust and divorce and all of these things every one of us has thought about or experienced in some level. And then he goes in, in chapter 6, to a series of practices. Do this. In fact, he often says, when you do this, don't do it this way. Instead, do it this way. And the three practices he gives here in chapter 6 are giving to the needy, learning to pray, and learning to fast. And because these were the three things that Jesus elevates in his first big sermon, the church, historically seeking to become like Jesus leading up to Easter, seeking to really dive deep and grow closer, said maybe we will become more like Jesus when we do the things he told us to do. We pray, we fast, and we give to those in need. So we're going to begin with the fasting in verse 16 of chapter 6. Jesus speaking to not only his disciples, those who follow after him with the goal of becoming like him, but also to the crowds, all the people who were just marginally interested in the things he was saying because he was also doing some incredible stuff, like healing the sick and casting out demons, and they were just drawn to this man who was unlike any other. And teaching them, Jesus says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus, as he teaches about fasting, as one of these practices of becoming like him and doing the things he did, he doesn't begin if you fast, he begins when you fast. There's this assumption from Jesus that fasting is a natural part of the life of those who follow him. But I imagine for most of us, fasting is maybe a rare exception, certainly not the norm for most of us. Jesus says, when you fast, 
Don't do it like this. Instead, do it like this. Interestingly enough, there is only one place in the Old Testament where fasting is commanded. In the Old Testament, one day of the year, all the people of God were required to fast. This was the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when they would reflect on their sin and their mortality, and they would come before the Lord desperate and say, please forgive us for all of our sins of the last year. And it was on this day that not only all the people of God would fast, but all the children would fast, and also all the animals were commanded to fast. I don't know how you get a cow to not eat or a dog to not eat. I I don't know how that works, but everybody, every living thing in the community of the people of God on this one day a year in the Old Testament were to not eat. Now, if it only was commanded one day a year, why then did Jesus say, when you fast, as if it was a normal thing they did often? Well, while it was only commanded to be done one day a year by everyone, we see all throughout the Old Testament, fasting was regularly a practice of the people of God. In times of need, they would fast. In times of celebration, they would fast in order to then feast afterwards. They would fast in response to situations that were hard and difficult and even out of their control. And fasting was a practice that was regularly done to help people focus their life on God. Backing up a little bit from chapter 6 to chapter 5, Jesus, in this list of things he says about all the ways people are blessed, he says, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's a reality here in this promise of Jesus that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are not just those who are not eating, but those who long deep within them to become like God. Not God himself, but righteous, good and loving and compassionate for the world around us. Those who desire to be in good standing with God, like those who hunger and thirst. The thing about hunger is, Most of the time in our Western world, when you hunger, you're not actually in need of food. You just have a craving and a longing for something your body is going through withdrawals for. I myself am incredibly guilty. I have a sweet tooth like no other. And I find myself almost every single night, right at about 9 o'clock at night, the best time to eat lots of sugar and calories, according to every doctor I've never listened to, right? I always find myself right at about that time really, really wanting chocolate, or maybe ice cream, or maybe both. And I always find myself right about that time when I should be winding down for the night and preparing to go to bed, really just searching the whole house. Where can I turn over a couch cushion or anything to find some kind of sugar? Because I just crave it. There's nothing in my body that needs that sugar. My blood sugar is just fine. But I certainly long for it. Most of the time when our body, even our stomach, begins to rumble, the hunger is because we haven't eaten in the amount of time we think we should have eaten in. In fact, did you know your human body can go much longer without food than just the three hours between meals? My daughter, my favorite daughter, she's also my only one, so that's why I can say that. 
My favorite daughter loves to snack. In fact, we were really concerned when she went off to school full-time, five days a week, how will she make it through an entire day with only one snack time and one lunch time? We thought perhaps she would die. And based on the way she got in the car desperate for food afterwards, she thought perhaps she was going to die. But she made it, somehow. And when they're home on the weekends or, or during breaks and they're home all day long, you would think that she forgot she can make it through a day with just a meal and a snack. Because every 30 minutes, I'm hungry, can I have a snack? Well, you didn't eat your breakfast, go eat your breakfast. No, I'd rather have a snack. All right, most of the time, that feeling inside of us of hunger is not actually hunger. Sometimes it's boredom. Sometimes that feeling of hunger is actually because we're really thirsty. Sometimes that feeling of hunger is because of habit. We have trained our bodies to believe at certain times and in certain ways we need certain foods. I am positive that my longing for sugar at night is because for a long time I've given in to that longing at night. And now my body just knows now's the time for all the sugar because the kids are asleep and you don't have to share. <laughs> Jesus says, look, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For those who have this deep-seated longing for righteousness, they will be blessed. But I believe wholeheartedly that most of us struggle to deeply long for what is good. Like maybe there's a part of us that says, yeah, I want what is good, but do you know what else I want? To not go to the gym. Do you know what else I want? All of these other things. Do you know what else I want? I just want silence and to binge watch my favorite show. That's what I want. Most of the time, our longings are centered on us. Our longings are centered on our own needs, our own wants, our perceived experience and problems. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, if you back up just a little bit before, right before the sermon, a really big thing happens. Jesus is baptized and then sent out by his Father, by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness, a desolate, lonely place. And for 40 days he fasts. For 40 days he goes without eating. For 40 days he's hungry. And in that time of fasting, the devil comes against him to tempt him. In three different moments, three different ways, the devil comes to try to draw him away from the will of God and away from the plans of God and into something else. If you've ever gone six or eight or 12 hours without eating, you know just how easy it is in that moment to give in to all of it. Now imagine three days or seven days or 40 days and the temptation there within to say, okay, this is what I think I need. This is where I should go. I should pursue my own desires first. And the very first way that the devil tempts Jesus is this. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, he says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, after 40 days of not eating, is tempted to turn these stones into bread, and oh, how delicious that would appear in that time. I wonder 
if there's any part of Jesus that said, I could really use some bread right now. Because certainly for me, after 24 hours or 48 hours of not eating, there's a longing that says, I could really use some pizza right now or some ice cream. One of the shows my wife and I enjoy watching is the show Alone where 10 people are dropped in the woods and they have to survive on their own for as long as they can. And whoever survives the longest ends up winning half a million dollars. And in every show, almost every participant, by about day four, they begin saying, I had this dream of eating this pudding or this dream of eating this bread or this ice cream. And food consumes their entire thoughts. And if you've never been in that place, you have no idea just how much, when you're hungry, you really think about nothing other than food. But Jesus, being tempted, says, man does not live on bread alone. But the very word of God, that's what sustains him. See, in our culture in which we have overabundance of everything, it's really, really easy to forget that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's really easy to forget that God is the one who provides that daily bread. Because we can go to a pantry that is full of all kinds of food. We can drive down the street and stop at any number of restaurants, or we don't even have to stop. We just go right through the drive through and we eat it in 35 seconds on our way to the next thing. We live in a culture of such abundance that it is hard to imagine not having. It also makes it hard to empathize with those who don't have. And this invitation to fast is an invitation to remember who God is. That everything we have, good and bad. Not that God is the giver of the bad, but like sugar is a good thing that too much of can be bad. Or wine is a good thing that too much of can be bad. And all sorts of good things that we can twist to become bad things. All of these come from God. And he will provide for our every need. And so fasting is an invitation to offer ourselves to God. Say, God, I trust that you will be enough. I trust that if I skip a meal or I miss a few snacks, you will provide my daily needs and I will not die. Fasting is an invitation to draw closer to the God who loves us. But Jesus, as he responds to this temptation, isn't just making things up. In fact, he actually quotes the Old Testament in this response. So I want us to back up even further to Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you're using those blue Bibles, that's on page 192. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is a retelling of the story. You see, thus far in the first four books of the Bible, God has created everything and he made it all good. And when it fell into sin, he promised to redeem it. And as the story goes forward, God chooses a people who will be his people for the sake of all nations, a people who will be for the whole world a light of his goodness and provision that everyone will see his blessing. And this people find themselves enslaved and in hardship and experiencing injustice, and God comes and rescues them miraculously. He spares them from this pain and the sorrow and he brings them out. And as they wander in the desert, he teaches them how to be his people, how to live as his children, how to reveal his goodness to the whole world. And they still time and time again screw it up. 
So Deuteronomy is now almost a full generation later as almost everybody who experienced God's blessing has now died and they're preparing the next generation to go and receive all of God's promised blessings. To go and fulfill all the things God said he would do. And Deuteronomy's retelling the story. Remember what God has done, what God has said. Remember who he is that you can live as his people in all things. This is where we're at in chapter 8. It says this. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. I love the full context of this here. You see, Jesus, in response to the temptation and hunger, the opportunity to just give in and do what's right for him, he responds by quoting Scripture. And Scripture, in context, this is God speaking. It says, remember how I allowed you to be hungry so you could experience my provision. Remember the promises that I'm about to fulfill that you will go in and be my people in this land that I will bless you with things you've never imagined and gifts you couldn't ever earn. Remember all of who I am. For this reason, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. For I will provide and sustain and bless in every way. For you and me in a culture of abundance, fasting is an invitation by Jesus himself to come and experience his goodness in the midst of everything we do. And we do see throughout the Old Testament a practice, while it was only commanded one time, they habitually fasted when they were in need of God to do something. Esther finds out that all the Jewish people are about to be killed, and she says, everybody for three days fast, and maybe God will turn. Daniel tells everybody to fast and maybe God will turn and spare them. Time and time again in times of crisis, the people of God fasted. 
And in the New Testament, what happens when Jesus teaches, when you fast, do it like this. Not like the hypocrites who seek to gain attention by showing just how miserable they are. Woe is me, this is so tough. He says, look, anoint your head and wash your face. Go on about your life as normal and simply know that God will provide for everything. In the New Testament and what followed, the life of the early church, fasting became a regular discipline, a regular habit where they would say, through fasting, we experience all of God's love and his goodness, and we are drawn to surrender ourselves and offer even our bodies to the Lord, that every part of us is his. And it was so that during Lent, for a long time, from sun up until sundown, for the whole 40 days of Lent, the church would fast. Now maybe you hear that and you go, I've heard of people and religions fasting for 40 days in a row from sunup to sundown. Have you heard of Ramadan? A Muslim practice of fasting? That came from Christian practices. That was actually something that they took from Christians who were doing it habitually and they said, hey, that's a good thing. We should try that too. And now somehow we as Christians have forgotten that it's a good thing and just said that's for those people, not us. We have Jesus. We don't need to fast. And let me just encourage you. You don't need to fast. But you can. And Jesus invites every one of us in this practice of fasting to learn that he will always be enough. So how do we go about fasting? Over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk a little more in depth about how we go about fasting. But because Ash Wednesday is coming up this week and many people like to fast for the season of Lent, I just want to lay a few simple things at your feet for how you fast. First, there's a common misconception, especially here in the West, that needs to be broken. Fasting is not the same as abstinence. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, as Lent approaches, people think of things to give up, and they say, I'm going to give up social media, or I'm going to give up sugar, or I'm going to give up time on my phone, and these are all really good things to give up. But abstinence is the practice of saying no to one thing in order to say yes to another. Fasting is different. Fasting, in every case throughout the Bible is always, always giving up food. See, we can live without sugar and without caffeine, though that may be a stretch. We can live without a lot of things, but to live without food changes us deeply. We really struggle. This is why hanger is very real. If you've ever tried to fast, you'll know that by six hours in, you're grumpy, and by 12 hours in, you're really grumpy, and by 18 hours in, nobody should be around you because you might snap at a moment's notice. And the truth of the matter is, what comes out when we're fasting is often what's deep inside us and we're not even aware of. And so when we fast as a rhythm, a regular commitment, I'm going to do this whether or not I experience anything. And in my time of fasting, I'm going to offer myself to Jesus and say, God, would you come into these places that are really angry? Would you come into these places that are really grumpy, really tiresome, these things that are really hurting that is revealed in fasting? And would you begin to change me? And I believe wholeheartedly 
that when we abstain from things like sugar and social media and TV, we benefit because we create space in our life for God. But when we fast and we say, in this moment, however long we fast, God, I'm wholly yours. It will do more work in your heart and in your soul than any other practice you've ever tried. And I believe this because there once was a season where I fasted regularly myself. I had been convicted by scripture and challenged and I said, I'm going to try this. And I fasted for one day every week, 24 hours in a row every single week. And at first, and by first I mean like the first two or three months, that was the worst day to be around me. But over time, it became more normal. I became more comfortable in my hunger, not turning to anger or grumpiness, but instead turning to the Lord and saying, God, I want to be more like you and less like me. I want to rely more on you and your grace than on my strength and my ability. I want to desire you more than I desire these good foods. And through this practice, not only did fasting become easier, it became enjoyable. And somewhere along the way, probably nine years ago or ten years ago, this practice simply fell out of habit. A lot like going to the gym, if you practice it often, it becomes more natural. But when you stop doing it and you try to go back to it, it's grueling. But I know for every one of us, when we commit for a season or a moment or a time, and preferably a rhythmic time, something habitually When we commit to this with fasting and saying, I will go without food, it will always change us. Now, some people look at the Old Testament and they create fasts. Like if you read Daniel, Daniel only ate vegetables. And so they say, in this fast, I'm going to do the Daniel fast, which is, you know, abstaining from everything other than vegetables. I just want to throw out an unpopular opinion. I think it's good to do things like that. And there may be a season where you say, for this season, I'm going to only eat vegetables or only do this or only do that or abstain from these foods. But I don't think it's called fasting in Scripture when Daniel does that. He's simply abstaining from things. So fasting is not simply a dietary restriction or change. It is a wholehearted commitment. God, I'm going to go without food and sometimes without water. But I I say sometimes because definitely start without food for a long time first. Now, how long do you fast when you begin this practice? If you have never fasted before, start where you are. Like, just be honest with yourself. If you don't know what this is like or how to fast, start small. Maybe what it looks like is you purposefully skip one meal a day. I'm not going to eat lunch or snack throughout the day. And during that time where my stomach rumbles and I am hungry, I am going to turn to the Lord in his word and in prayer and say, God, help me as I'm hungry. Maybe you begin saying from sun up until sundown. And this time of the year is the right time to do it because the sun is not out nearly as long as the middle of the summer. And you say for 12 hours, I'm not eating, but then I will break my fast in celebration. I will eat again something small and simple and say, thank you, God, that you have sustained me through this time. Maybe your fasting is something you can do a little longer. You're in a place where for medical reasons or health reasons or dietary reasons, you have already been fasting, and now all you need to do is shift your focus from I want to detox or purge to I want to draw near to you, God. 
and you take that same thing you're already doing and just turn and shift, God, how do I offer myself to you through this practice? When the practice of 40 days of fasting disappeared from the church, at least drastically shrank here in the West, new practices were replaced. What if every Wednesday and every Friday we fast? You can't do it all, so just do something. I believe Jesus invites you and me to discover God's grace through experiencing his provision each and every day, through reflecting on how he has been enough for us. Over the next couple of weeks as we dive into fasting, I want to encourage you to give it a try. Maybe you start small with a few hours or meals. Maybe you take a whole day. I would not encourage you to jump into 40 days if you're not used to it. That's, that's a bold move. Probably a bad idea. But start small. God, how can I give up some food now to draw closer to you? When we do this habitually, it will change us. Now, if you choose in the next few weeks as we begin this process to uh, begin practicing fasting and give it a try, if you choose to do this, I want to encourage you to warn your spouse or significant other. Like, just give them a heads up. On Monday, I'm going to fast, so please give me extra grace because I might need it. But then also, I want to encourage you, if you warn them, to invite them to point out in love the ways in which you're not quite Christ-like in your fast. You snapped at me, and that was really hurtful. And it invites you to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And it invites you to reflect, God, why am I so much this way when I'm hungry? This is not a requirement for any one of us. But it was a norm for Jesus' disciples and those who came after him. It was a norm that they would regularly do it. And so if we want to become like them, we can too. Now I will say there are some people for a variety of reasons who cannot fast. Right? There are medical reasons where you should not miss a meal. There are medical reasons where your blood sugar may um, get too unhealthy or where you're preparing for this surgery or that thing. Like There are reasons to not fast. Most of us make up a bunch of reasons to not fast. So if you're in the place of having a reason where you should not fast, that's okay. In this season, as we discuss this together, I invite you to practice abstinence, abstaining from something you can abstain from. And if you, like me, really love your 9 p.m. sugar and all of your junk food and all the other things, and you just want to find reasons to eat more, I want to encourage you to commit this coming week to practicing fasting something. And I would like to challenge, because Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, not just Valentine's Day, it's a day where we remember that we are going to die, that we are sinful and mortal and our bodies will fail us. Really, really great way to tell your significant other you love them on Valentine's Day. I love you, remember you're going to die. To which they may respond, and you will at my hands if you continue. Ash Wednesday being the start of this season of preparation is an invitation to say, God, how do I set my whole life before you that every part of who I am can be yours? I would like to challenge every one of you, maybe this Wednesday is a good day to start fasting. Perhaps one meal, perhaps for the whole day. 
perhaps abstaining if you cannot fast. But imagine the power of all of us together seeking to draw near to God in the same way on the same day. We can encourage one another, hang in there, it's going to be okay. We can remind people, you're probably not starving. In that show alone, they often say, I have enough food reserves. Okay, there's enough fat on my body, I'll be just fine for a day. You're less fat than me, you might not be. But we probably can sustain ourselves in God's power at least one day. Jesus, here in in his words on fasting, I'm going to end with this. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, our God is not a God who just wants us to suffer aimlessly. He is a God who sees that suffering and works in us to transform us and make us new. He will, I promise, reward you when you commit to following after him. When you commit to saying, I want to try to practice something I've never done before to draw closer to you. And the first time and the second time and maybe the hundredth time, you may not yet know that reward. But I promise you, he will give it. So press in and trust that he will be more than enough for whatever you're walking through. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Fasting is an invitation to trust that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. May we delight in your word. May we draw near to you, O Lord, the living word who is living and active for us. Teach us, God, to surrender our whole body, even our hungry stomachs, Teach us, God, to lay down all of who we are that we may find our reward in you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Lord, may we be satisfied in you. May you be enough for all of who we are. So, Lord, now we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. As I mentioned, three different ways in which the church would historically celebrate Lent was through the practice of fasting and prayer and giving to the needy. If you are here today and you call this church your home and would like to join us in the work that we are doing as a church, would like to partner with God in trusting He will provide for your daily bread and everything you need, if this is your church home and you came prepared to give and would like to do so today, You can do so with cash or check by placing it in an envelope and then in the black boxes in the back as you exit. If you filled out one of those cards in front of you that is teal and says connect at the top with a way we can be praying with you or a way we can contact you and connect with you, you can place that in those black boxes as well. And if you're somebody who prefers to do everything online, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. 
However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, before we get to your questions for today, a uh, quick announcement. There are several of you who are really new. Uh, I'm either new today or new in the last few weeks or months, uh, some of whom I have asked your name like a dozen times, and I continue to ask, and I ask you, forgive me. One day I'll get it right. But I want to get to know you a little bit better. So coming up on the 25th in just a few weeks, after church, we're going to have a lunch that's free of charge. We would just love for you to stick around and enjoy some lunch simply to talk so I can get to know you and you can get to know me. And I think it'll be fun. So if that's you and you're newer in this place and you'd like to join and maybe meet a few others, um, at thepointknocks.com you can sign up. You can show up even if you don't sign up, but we'll make sure we have enough food if you take a moment to sign up. It's completely free. I'd love to see you there. Now, every week we invite questions. What questions came in today? Someone wants to know what is Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. So if you've ever heard of Mardi Gras, it ends with Fat Tuesday, a day of absolute gorging yourself on all kinds of food and drink and party. Uh, and it came from a place of how do we not waste the food we're going to fast, so let's eat all the sugars and the things that we otherwise won't be eating for Lent. Now it's just turned into quite a wild party. In various places around the world, they have different names for it, like instead of Mardi Gras, in some places they call it Carnival. Uh, in Germany, on Fat Tuesday, they actually go around cutting guys' ties off. Uh, that's the way they party. I don't know. Germans are weird. But uh, yeah, so that's Fat Tuesday. Yeah. Someone also asked, what if they have to take medication with their food? Yeah, like I said, there are some, some real reasons when you need to eat. If you have medication that requires food in your stomach or it will actually make things worse, I would recommend uh, if you need to take that medication, definitely eat some food with it. Uh, and if you can talk to your doctor about other alternatives, great. And if not, I would say maybe you fast when you're not taking that medicine. So if that medicine's just in the morning, maybe you fast later in the day. If that medicine is something to take morning and night, maybe you fast at lunch. It's all an invitation to try and experiment. Uh, Matthew 17, 21 talks about the cast of demons by fasting and prayer. Why is this verse left out of most modern Bibles? I don't know. Uh, so in Matthew 17, Jesus talks up. there's a demon that the disciples aren't able to cast out. And Jesus says, well, oh, you have little faith. This one comes out only by uh, fasting and prayer. And apparently it's left out of some modern translations. I don't know why. My guess is there's actually a lot of verses that um, the more quantity of original or early manuscripts we find appear likely to have maybe not been there. Um, now that's a really complicated subject. The, the short answer is, I believe we have enough evidence that you can trust the manuscript you have, the Bible you read. It's probably accurate to what was original, but yeah, some leave out a few verses because they look and say this might not have been original. Um, someone asked, if I chew gum, am I still fasting? Sure. <laughs> Again, it's an invitation, so try something new. And if gum helps you be a little bit less angry as you're working through that anger within you, Good for you, and good for everybody around you. Chew that gum. Yeah, if you swallow it, it's like five calories and lives in your stomach for seven years or something, so it's fine. Someone asked, what animal did Noah eat on the ark? What animal did Noah eat on the ark? Uh, interestingly enough, it's not mentioned anywhere prior to Noah that they ate animals. In fact, God, when he spoke to Adam and Eve, he said you can eat of any tree, any, any fruit, any plant. So it's 
uh, hypothesized that perhaps up until Noah, everybody was vegetarian because it's only after the flood that uh, God for the first time says, hey, eat of any meat. So um, maybe he ate animals. Maybe he didn't. Maybe that's where the unicorn went. (laughs) Noah got hungry and had a steak. I don't know. And the last one is, did Jesus ever change his mind about anything? I don't know. Jesus was fully God, and God is always, he knows everything, and he's always um, set. And yet we see God at times with Moses is angry and wants to come and smite his people. And Moses prays, and God, it says, turns his heart. God changes. And I think that's because God in his nature longs to be compassionate and merciful and slow to anger and God in his nature also has to be just so is it possible that Jesus as God also had those turns of heart where he wanted to do one thing but instead changed his mind maybe Jesus was also fully man and I changed my mind a lot less often than my wife but still plenty enough to say maybe Jesus also changed his mind anything else nope Well, as always, you can text in questions during the week, and I will do my best to respond either on social media or next week, Sunday. Um, If you'd like, if you've got questions you don't want to be anonymous, I'll be around. You're welcome to come on up and talk to me directly after this. If you are a high school student or will be in the next year, uh, we're going to take about 15 minutes of your time in the tap room here in a moment. Uh, to share about what coming up next year is the National Youth Gathering, an opportunity to gather with about 25,000 other high school students from across the country and worship and learn about God. And so if that's something you want to learn about coming up soon, stick around. Uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes will tell you what's coming and just put it on your radar. Otherwise, as you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.